Welcome to the Soccer Podcast, where we talk soccer in Delaware, soccer in the rest of the world, and everything in between. My name is Sebastian, and in this post-Thanksgiving day, I'm joined here by Dwayne. Yeah, I think we each we each brought a, brought a friend this week, right? We each brought a friend. Yeah. Or who did you, who did you bring? Like, I want to know who you brought. <laughs> um, I don't know. I might regret my decision. I brought Kyle. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not regretting my decision. I brought Mike. What's yeah, up, go, man? Go either way with Kyle, man. <laughs> yeah, you never know where where, where Kyle's gonna go. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so uh, yeah, this we'll call this the the Friendsgiving episode. Yes, uh, I like that. I think we're gonna release this. Uh, this will get released at noon, so that'll be our Black Friday special. Well, you know, this will get released two hours before normally does. <laughs> so there you go. So if you're out there Black Friday shopping, um, uh, we we got you. Um uh just just right off the top of, of my head real quick before we before we dive deeper into this uh quickly did we did either any of you the three of you ever like camp out for anything soccer related black friday like black friday style soccer like really? I'll ever 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 camp out for a pair of copas or something <laughs> no not for uh not for Black Friday. I, I mean, I've had a couple. We've done like campouts for the Women's World Cup, like games in really? the basement. You know, we we did the whole World <laughs> oh, Cup. That was your house that doesn't count. <laughs> well, I mean, We're talking outside of your house, man. <laughs> that's Graves <laughs> family camping at its finest. <laughs> um, now I can't think of a time. Um, I I mean, I used to have to drive like an hour and a half to get a pair of cleats. Like, you know, that was how it was when, right. you know, yeah, it actually lived on the sticks. Store. That's as far. But it was always Copas. I mean, they were always the same price, always the same cleat. So yeah. what else do you need? Mike, what about you ever do any like Black Friday soccer specific stuff? No, man. It's not a hot no, topic, yeah. right? <laughs> I don't I, I don't like to wait on lines for stuff, so. I'm definitely not camping out for anything. That's fair. <laughs> Dwayne, I had a had a soccer dot com sale. That's about it. <laughs> I just got a pair of cleats for like one twenty that were like two hundred. You know, I normally like that's the one thing I look for, right? Like so, like Amazon deals or you know whatever other ones. Like I always look for like soccer equipment on Black Friday, and usually Amazon doesn't necessarily have anything that's cheaper than than it was before. Cones don't go on sale. Yeah. Yeah. Which is a disappointment. Somebody quickle, quickle, drop, drop them cones. Yo, well, you like- know, select, select, select's got that sale. Yes, but we have, but we have that. Yeah, yeah. I clicked We're- on the Black Friday sale for Soccer.com today, and the first thing that popped up was all the things that were excluded from the sale. So I thought it was an interesting <laughs> sales pitch. But the first <laughs> thing that came up on the Black Friday link was the three hundred dollar Nikes, and it was like excluded from the sale. Nice. <laughs> So, but you can get them today. Oh, yeah, you buying three hundred dollar Nikes? Nah, I'm about to go. We're we're going shoe shopping right after this episode. For Nikes? We're going to the kickback. What? We're going to get hey, some dunks. He, he is having a sale. I know, big sale. <laughs> like fifteen percent off of used shoes, and like ten percent off of new ones. That's not yeah, bad. What are you talking about? I'm I'm confused here. Kickback. If you don't know about the kickback, you don't know. Yeah, yeah I don't. You know, you I have don't. no. I have no idea. <laughs> We're about to get a pair of Dunks, probably a pair of Jordan Elevens, and uh, maybe a pair. My first pair of Yeezys. 
<laughs> Forget that Kyle's in that shoe game. <laughs> yeah, you know. <laughs> he worked at DSU now, man. He's got to be flying. Boy, they're judging him on his shoes all the time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, he ain't real. He ain't real. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right, Mike, you're no longer in Delaware since the last time you've been here on the podcast. I am in sunny North Carolina. <laughs> so how is how is not only North Carolina, but how is the uh new job at the Charlotte Independence? North Carolina is awesome. Um, we're living just north and north of uh, Charlotte right now. Um, about 25 minutes north of Charlotte, right on Lake Norman. Um, so that's been awesome. Um, transitioning to a new house, new neighborhood for the kids, new friends, new schools uh, has all gone pretty smoothly. So pretty stoked about that. The job's been awesome. I mean, I can't, I really can't complain. Um, the independence is chock full of really good people. Like I think top to bottom from our CEO all the way down um, to the coaches that I'm working with at, at our Northern branch up here in, uh, in Mooresville and Lake Norman. I mean, all the people have been amazing. So um, it's been really good. It's been uh it's been an adjustment getting used to a different, a different type of job. I mean, I've never been a DOC before of a club. I've coached club soccer, obviously, but never had to oversee a staff of coaches, coaching education, um, scheduling, things like that. Um, but it's been that side of it, honestly, has been a lot of fun. I've really actually enjoyed the new administrative responsibilities. Um, it's kind of been a breath of fresh air. Um, so yeah, all good, man. All good. And then the clubs, the club's awesome too, right? Like we have our USL men's pro team. Um, so it's been fun to go downtown and they have an amazing stadium right in downtown Charlotte. So to go watch them play there. And then um, we have a, uh, we have a women's uh, super league team starting up this summer, which is going to be a lot of fun. So yeah, exciting times around the Charlotte independence. That's awesome. That's, that's, that's great to hear. How's uh how's the transition into coaching youth? uh on a regular basis now i mean it's it honestly it's been a lot of fun from the sense of being able to step out into the field and coach without the pressure um you know i think obviously there's always there's always pressure there's always going to be you know parents that want you to win every game and things like that but um you know it's not the same as coaching college where it was like you know you feel like you're coaching for your job every single game yeah. Uh, so I think that that side of it has been refreshing because you can take, I think a few more risks. Um, you can try things, you can experiment a little bit. Um, I, something that's been a lot of fun for me has been, I, I haven't coached boys in years. Um, and now I'm coaching, um, we just started up our, our U17 boys season. Um, so I'm coaching a U17 boys team now, and and that's been a lot of fun. It's just been such a change of pace from the last 20 years, working pretty much exclusively on the women's side. Um, the guys have been so much fun to work with uh, and so much different, right? Um, so that's been a lot of fun. Yeah. Yeah, I feel like I found that as well this year with with the with the boys high school team um, that I hadn't done that in, in probably eight or nine years like as a head coach and it was a complete change of pace but but i did enjoy it i thought i thought it was uh it was great to not only was it more fun than i expected it was going to be um but it was also the a little bit of that back and forth that you have and 
Um, and I almost didn't mind a little bit of conflict with it. Like I, I enjoyed that part of it. There was most a little bit more pushback than I was normally used to seeing, which I, I didn't mind. Yeah. Yeah. It's just different personalities, right? Like it's the kids show up to practice and we're having some conversations that are like soccer conversations. Like, Hey, did you see this game? Did you see this player a little bit more than what you get probably on the, on the women's side, I would say. Uh, And then the one thing that I found is never like so far, we're only about three weeks into training with the boys right now, but so far not ever having to coach the effort level um, because the kids are bringing their energy like every single training session. Um, Whereas, you know, what I found with the girls was that that motivation energy level definitely fluctuated training session to training session where sometimes you were trying to pull a certain uh, level out of them. Uh, I haven't really had to do that with the, with the guys yet. Now, you know, I may, that may change over, over the next couple of months, but um, I haven't really had to do that yet, which has been pretty cool. Has it, I'm, I'm guessing now I might be wrong here, but uh, having your family be able to go out and watch you coach again. How's that been? Oh, that's been fun. So we started our girl season in August and um, just finished it up two weeks ago uh, at state cup and Cooper was on the bench with me for every game. Uh, Uh So Cooper, a little assistant coach, and he was on the bench with me every game, like home and away. Dude. (laughs) On the girl's side. (laughs) (laughs) Um, He, but he came to every game. Like we would travel for games. We went up to Asheville for state cup. So he was, and he was on the bench every game. Um. It's been a lot of fun. That's been the biggest difference for me, right? Like I've never gone so long. Like it's been four months now, and I've I've seen my family every single day for yeah. four months. I've never, I haven't done that in twenty years. I mean, you leave, you go to away games, you go to recruit. Um, the amount of times that I would come back home and my kids would already be asleep yeah. when I was coaching college, it it's not the same here. So I'm able to see my kids every day. I'm able to get them off the bus when they come home from school, and then I jet out to the fields for whatever I have to do that night. Um, it's been, it's been a lot of fun to be able to, to have the family there. And then obviously kind of a nice cherry on top is having that pro team because then over the course of the fall, our, our men's pro team had a great season. They went to the USL championship game. Uh, um, and we were able to go like pretty much every Friday night to go watch that team play if we wanted to, um, you know, when they were home in their, in their stadium downtown and their stadium was awesome. It's a great fan experience. So the boys loved it. Um, so I think being able to combine all the family stuff with the soccer stuff, you know, I, I did that to a degree when I was coaching college soccer, but certainly way more now, way more. Like I couldn't have the boys on the bench with me during college games and stuff like that. And now I can, and it's, it's awesome, man. It's been really nice to be able to combine those two things for sure. Yeah. Do you think that that needs to be potentially, and Kyle, obviously you can chime in on this cause you were, you spent a lot of years on a college sideline too. Um, the and i think and i know that you had that similar at times a little bit of that burnout experience from a college coaching perspective of like what do we is there anything that from a cultural standpoint it's ever going to change like because i feel like it's more and more where you hear where it's so much tougher to have a family um after or 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 not have a family but be able to maintain that like life balance with your family and be able to have consistency in the college season is so short yet it feels like it's so long and then after you're done with the season you're into recruiting and this and that and it's just like it almost feels like you're you're never home right 
So do you think that that will ever change or do do universities have potentially a plan in place to like worry about the mental health of their coaches? Um, yeah, I mean, it's a good question. And interestingly enough, I loved hearing Mike's perspective because Mike, you probably heard this, you know, when, you know, 10 years ago, you, there was all the studies and all the talk about, you know, the loss of female head coaches, you know, as they started families and, um, you know, they couldn't balance the schedules. And, um, so I think it's been around for a long time. I think that, you know, as a society, we progress, there's just, now male coaches are willing to own up to those same struggles. Right. Um, so it's, it is hard, um, you know, to find that balance and, um, you know, with no like really recruiting blackout periods at D- division three, at least, I mean, the expectation, even if it wasn't coming from the university, there was this external expectation that if something was going on, you should be there, right. The kids wanted you there. So it wasn't always pressure from the university, um, you know, but there could be a showcase where there were six teams at it, you know, and the, we were in upstate New York, a tiny little thing, and it's three hours away. But you felt like because there was a player you were pursuing that it would reach out to you. Hey, coach, it'd be great if you could make it. Um, and, and that's six hours round trip. Right. So, um, you know, those are some of the challenges. I, I think if anything were to be done, it would have to come you know, legislatively with some of that blackout type stuff. Um, and then it's just a matter of, um, you know, really it it's getting to the point now where it, it it's, it's keeping up with the Joneses, right? Everything's on social media now and things like that. So, you know, you see the schools next to you holding six ID clinics and in things like that. And it's like, do I need to be doing that? Do I need to be at that? So, um, I think some of it's self-imposed, but you know, um, you know, with all of us, it's like an arms race to, um, you know, to attract players. It's no different with, you know, what teams all the way down at the division three level are doing with locker rooms now. And, um, you know, things like that. It's, it's truly just what it takes to attract players now, um, you know, leaves it to the point where if you're not going 24 seven, um, you feel like you're going to miss out on, on that player. So, um, I don't know what the answer is, (laughs) Um, you know, but certainly we felt it. As Mike said, um, I was very fortunate. I couldn't have my girls on the sideline, you know, but they were at the games and things like that. Um, I was able to find a little bit of a balance, um, you know, with the schedule. I could make it Morrisville where I could, you know, be around more so than probably other coaches. But it was still, um, you know, the transition to going to club coaching. Um, You know, Mike, I don't know if you experienced it, but just there was just a yearning to learn again, right? Um, just a, a passion to just put on cleats and, and and be on the field. So that was one of the things I noticed as well. On top of the scheduling and things like that, um, you know, I dropped from college men's to, um, at the time, I think U9, right, Sebastian? Is that what yeah. we were going to start? Like, yeah. So it, they just, you know, they they were there kind of for the soccer, but they were there to have fun, right? Um, so that, that was really refreshing as well and then as you move up mike said like the those those boys u17 players that it's like that we say it all the time it's the best part of their day right um and in you know i still work with college athletes every single day now and you can see the burden on them you know i've got athletes that are three weeks into their season and you can already start to see um you know it's a lot 
Um, you know, I've never been around division one college athletics as much as I am now. And when I look at the schedules that are sent to me with, um, you know, what their day is going to look like, um, you can see, you know, why, it, why it is the way that it is to a certain extent. So it's, it's a challenge. Yeah, no, I, Kyle, I agree with you 100%. And I think the answer, like anything in life is probably going to be multifaceted, right? Like it's going it, to, a lot of it's going to come from the legislative side of what we're doing as governing bodies, whether it's the NCAA or a coaches association, some of it's got to come from the universities themselves that take a stance and really, um, really put a focus on what they're, what is important to them as a university and as an athletic department and not just talk about it, but actually take action to implement it. Um, because I think the thing that I learned a lot over my college coaching career was you could go to any university in the country and they all, they're all well-versed enough to say the right things, but very few of them are actually, um, either courageous enough or imaginative enough to actually do the right things. Um, and, and then I would say the other, the other part of it too is, um, you know, it's got a, there has to be an educational component to it as well, because the burnout and the burnout is real, right? Like there's a book that I read recently. Um, and I was lucky enough to be able to have a quick conversation with the author too. It's this guy, Cody Royal, who wrote a book called the tough stuff about, um, about coaching at a high level and the burnout that goes along with it and the mental health concerns, things like that. And it was really, it was an enlightening book for sure, because I felt a lot of what was written in that book. But as coaches, I think we got to do a better job of speaking up and uh, about boundaries that we need as coaches. Um, the other part of it is, is the universities. Like I, I think it's, I look back on it now at some of the stuff that I had to deal with when I was at like a school like Delaware, uh, to be honest, where, um, not to call them out in a negative light, but it was a, it was a great place in a lot of ways, but also like, how could you possibly sit there in a sane moment and try to hold some of your, some of your, you know, quote unquote, non-revenue coaches to these wild expectations when you're not paying them, you know, and you're trying to hold them to the same expectations that you're holding your basketball coach to your football coach to. And you're like, dude, I make an eighth of the money that they make. Uh, and I'm also trying to, you know, spend time with my family. I'm also trying, you know, like it's, it's little things like that, where you look at it and you're like, this is, this is insanity people. Like, what are you doing? Um, so it, it's, it's probably self-perpetuated, right? Like we all want the thing that we are involved in to be the most important thing. But sometimes when you do that, um, you do it to your own detriment, uh, and to your people's detriment. And, you know, I, we've seen the NCAA start to make that shift where they want to make sure there's mental health resources for, for all the athletes, especially when you're talking about that division one, you know, power five elite level, but really very few people have ever talked about like the mental health of the people who are working directly with the athletes. Um, like how do you, how do you take care of your coaches? Because they're the ones that have the biggest influence on the athletes on a daily basis, mm -hmm. you know, and, and to be fair, like, what about the administrators? You know, like Kyle, you're you're an administrator now. Like, are we taking, are we doing anything, anything whatsoever to take care of our people? Because we have, you know, I had athletic trainers that were making $28,000 a year that were working the same amount of hours that I was working, that were also probably working more hours, to be honest, that were trying to take care of their families on top of it. I had academic support advisors that were doing 
the same thing and they're making a fraction of the money and, and you just look at it and you're like, this is not a sustainable model. And I'm not even talking about financially sustainable. I'm talking mm-hmm. about mental health sustainable. Yeah. Um, so when people struggle the way that they struggle, how could we possibly sit back and say, oh man, this is this is tragic and I'm and I'm so surprised. What are you surprised by? You know, like we've all played a role in perpetuating the, the model that doesn't work. It doesn't right. work. Yeah. And I think you're right though. Like it, it is that it is that concept of like we we want our players to be to have, you know, the mental health resources. But if you don't educate the coaches to be able to provide the like it not only provide it for the players, but provide it for themselves, right? Because it, it's it's a never it's a it's a never ending cycle. I mean, I know my sister is heavily involved in gymnastics um at the coaching level. And um, and and she follows Division One college gymnastics, and there there's still coaches that are leaving programs or asked to leave programs or things like that because they're not treating their players properly. Well, it, it, that's got to come from somewhere, right? Like you don't just wake up and go like ah, I'm going to be a jerk today. Like yeah, that's got to come from some sort of again the idea of trauma is is huge, right? Like that's got to come from some sort of traumatic experience that you had at some point or pressures or whatever external factors are happening that are then causing you to then use your players or student athletes as that release point. Right. And I think that's the problem is we don't, we don't fix that. Um, I think at the youth level, it happens a lot too, because especially for the, for the coaches that are not full-time club coaches, there are coaches that have other careers, jobs and things like that with other pressures and potentially in some of those situations, you're in a job where you don't have a leadership role. You don't have control of everything. And, you know, it it could be that. And then all of a sudden you're being put in front of like 15 kids and you're the person in charge. So you feel like that sense of power comes on to you or you're in a game or against a referee or things like that. And that's where we see all that happening. Like Dwayne and I were at the uh, high school boys finals this past weekend. And, uh, we sat there for the division two final. We went home for the division one, one, but we sat in the, and you actually could hear in the podcast while we were recording it, like parents yelling at the referee who's standing 15 feet away from him. Like, but not even like, it's not, the, I think the thing that frustrated me the most is the yelling that was happening. Wasn't like, Oh, you missed a call. Right. It was, Hey, wake up. The game's right in front of you. Like, in what world do you think that you saying that is going to spark the referee to go, oh, my God, where am I? I just realized I'm at a soccer game. Like, <laughs> like, like in what world like, does that help you in any sort of way? But we allow this to happen. There's there's a massive disconnect, Sebastian, between between what we want for our kids, I think, at the youth level, and then what we do to try to build that environment, there's a huge disconnect, right? Like every, there is not a single parent that you would talk to that would say, I want an unhealthy environment for my child. in you know, when they go to soccer, right? Nobody's ever going to say that. Nobody wants that for their kid, but then they'll show up to their game and they'll yell at the referee. And, or they'll, or they'll give the, you know, like this, this happened to me this, this past season down here at, at, at the independence, I was, I was running a, I run a youth academy program. That's part of one of the things I oversee. So you're talking U8, U9, U10. And I had a parent walk right up to me after a game and and we lost the game, but we also don't keep scoring the youth academy because it's all about individual development, right? And we have one of the smaller branches, one of the less experienced branches here at the independence. We lost the game. We got drilled to be fair, Um, but we were playing a much, much better team. 
I mean, we didn't lose because we weren't well coached. We didn't lose because we weren't trying. We lost because we played a, a team that was better than us, period. Yeah, happens. And I, got, and I got ripped by a parent. And I'm like, your kid's nine. What are you doing? <laughs> like, Your kid's nine years old. You're going to, if you focus so much on the result, then they're going to focus on the result. Mm-hmm. And then they're not going to have fun doing what they're doing. Then they're not going to come back. They're going to get burnt out. Um, so there's a disconnect between what we want and then what we do to get what we want. Um, but there's also like, I saw, I also saw it at the college level, right? Like I was, I was at a place where the messaging was so, um, the messaging was so, um, there was not a clear message from the administration to the coaches on how to deal with the players. The message was always, you need to do whatever you need to do, take care of your players. Okay, great. And especially like when I was at Delaware, I, we were coming out of a global pandemic. Do whatever yeah. you got to do. Take care of your players. But then the message to the coaches directly was you need to win. Okay, well, do I need to take care of my players or do I need to win? Right. Which one do you want? Because sometimes doing what I need to do to take care of my players is not going to be what's best for winning. Yeah. Um, and well, at least not uh, in the short term. No, at least exactly. At least not in the short term, right? Like, and um, and so it, it's one of those things that, well, what do you want to be? Like, do you want to be the department that always puts the players first? If you do, then invest in the players, invest in your coaches, invest in the relationships, make make the idea of winning secondary, and then build your department to a winning place the long way, you know, um, by building healthy relationships, by focusing on all these little things. Or you could be the department that only focuses on winning, but everything else around you is going to be broken. And you're going to burn coaches out. You're going to have high personnel turnover. Um, I mean, and, and that's, I think, um, I think that's where you have to have as a leader, you have to have a really clear vision and you have to be able to articulate that vision and you have to be able to, to actually act and execute on that vision and be consistent with the way that you're doing it. Um, you know, like I know for me, the only thing I ever heard when I would have meetings with my, with my higher ups was how we needed to win. That's the only thing that I would ever hear. But then when there was conversation in front of all the teams that were coming from my higher ups, it was how much we care about you, how we're a family, how we're going to do right by the student athletes. Well, there, there's a, there's a, diving with the other, (laughs) there's a very simple question that gets missed, but I think from an administration perspective, I think potentially at all levels, um, and the the question is, how are you? Like, how you doing? Like, and it's and not only not like not in like, hey, what's going on? What's up? Like, no, no, no. Let's sit down and let me legitimately ask you. Let the first question that I ask you be, how are you? And like, give you an opportunity to answer that question because I think, and I've been watching the U seventeen um, men's World Cup, right? So I've been watching that. Following it, you know, from an Argentina perspective and just in general, I've, I've watched one of the U.S. games and I know they they lost um, on Tuesday. Um, but but I've been I've been watching the U-17 World Cup because I think I, I find the U-17 World Cup fascinating because it's all the players that are potentially already in a first team, potentially somewhere or trying to get into a first team. You're not it's not the the 17 year olds that are already established. Because the majority of them, unless they're in a smaller country, because um, those those seventeen year olds that are more established are already playing, right? Like they're already on their national team, right? Like the guy from uh, Spain, 
uh Jamal, what's his name? What's his last name doing? Yeah, from Barcelona. Yeah, like that kid's that kid's already in the actual like national team, right? He scored a goal recently in the Euro qualifiers as a 17-year-old, right? Could easily be playing the U17 World Cup. He's not. Um, but I watch it because it's it's the true definition of of not only are you playing for pressure, but in theory, you're playing because it's it's still fun. It's still enjoyable because at the end, of, the end of the day, you're dealing with 15, 16, and 17-year-olds that when they go out and play and they're doing something, they're still smiling because it's still fun. And we can't ever lose that. And Dwayne and I talked about New Caledonia. Um, if you guys don't know where New Caledonia is, New Caledonia is a small little island that's actually a French colony uh, off the coast of Australia and New Zealand. It's a very tiny island that, at least from what we read, um, has like high-end French boutiques and restaurants and stuff like that. Well, New Caledonia made it to the U-17 World Cup, right? Duane and I picked it as one of our destinations to live off from a remote island if we ever wanted to. <laughs> um, well, New Caledonia didn't do so hot in the uh, in the U-17 World Cup. First game right off the bat, they lost 10 nothing to to England. Then they lost nine nothing to Brazil, and then they lost five nothing to Iran. Right now, is anybody ever going to try to take that experience away from those kids? I hope not, because to me, that's the fact that you made it for some for some countries like that, like that are so small. Making the U seventeen World Cup is it? Like just making it is is the achievement, right? I know we we heard in the women's World Cup. I forget which team it was that their goal was to score a goal in the World Cup. Like they came into the ultimate goal of just scoring one goal. If they could score one goal, their World Cup was made. Right? And we we forget about these small little details of the game that then but we we they're always overshadowed by the fact that like you need to win. And if you don't win, it's a complete failure. And I think Sebastian, and going back to Mike, what you said, I think it's at the youth levels. It's it's about where you put that focus, right? Um, so I've seen the same thing, you know, from both sides. I've I've had funny conversations with Sebastian about some of the constructive criticism that I, you know, I've maybe taken on the coaching side, and then you sit on the other sideline and you're like, wait, 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 the same thing you told me, <laughs> you know, that isn't good for players. Like we're doing that now, like just on the other sideline. Um, you know, so that's been the transition from college coach to youth coach was pretty interesting. I, I'd say it was even more interesting to go from youth coach to youth dad, right? Like, you know, just watching some of that. But, you know, my girls, they, they're most I think a lot of kids, unfortunately, the car ride home, we talk about it all the time. Nobody wants the car ride home from soccer because it's going to be talking about the game. Well, my girls know that there's no soccer talk, but they know it's going to be these talks. And I had one with Delaney two weeks ago. They were down in Virginia. And similar to your story, they got schlacked um, by a really good team. Really good team. <laughs> um, and I told her going into that game, um, I said, I'll be really interested to see how you and your teammates respond. This is going to be a good team. And they, you know, I'd seen some moments where they didn't handle adversity well. And it was the best I've ever seen them. And I shared it with Sebastian. And we got in the car and the honesty from a 14 year old to go, wow, dad, like you were right. That team was really good. 
we did the best we could. And I was proud that we played for 60 minutes, but they are just way better than us. Um, that's what a four, like, cause she's getting ready to go into her high school season, right. For the first time. And if she can approach games with that mentality, she's going to have a lot of fun. They're going to win some games, but they'll know how to handle those moments and, and, and know when those moments have presented themselves. And then what can you learn in that moment? And then as, as Sebastian alluded to, what could be your goal? So I heard the team that played them in the final, I was, we were leaving the tournament and there was a girl from that team and I heard her getting her little t-shirt at the, you know, the $80 tournament t-shirt um, that was going to be pressed. And she had a medal around her neck and it was, a, I come to find out it was the finalist medal, but the t-shirt guy didn't know that. And he goes, Oh, congratulations. Did you win? Um, and she says, no, but we were the only team to score on the team that did. There you right? go. So, so refreshing. They, I think the final was 5-1, 6-1. They lost almost by the same scoreline as us, but they scored a goal, and there was a, a girl, and I was like, because for a moment I thought they might have won. I was like, wow, if if they won, how good were they? Because, yeah. um, you know, the team was pretty good. And she was standing there with her medal, um, and she goes, yeah, but we scored a goal. Mm-hmm. Well, th- well, there you go, right? I um, think the small positives out of everything, right? Right. Right. But my girls hate the ride home because they know it's going to be about, you know, some of those moments. Right. It's (laughs) It's also like, listen, we we all like to win. I've been on the sideline with all three of you. Um, (laughs) All three of you know that I also like to win. Shocker to the world. Uh, I think every every coach in the world likes to win. Shocker. Shocker. Yeah. No one likes to lose. Um, But I think that's it. It's but I think it's learning how to lose. Right. I think it's. Um, in not learning how to lose from like, Hey, you get used to it, but understand, mm-hmm. understand that losing is a part of life. Losing is a part of the game. Um, you go into any game with the potential that you might lose. I don't care if it's soccer or if you're playing cards, video games, uh, or you're playing rock, paper, scissors, right? Like you, you might lose. Um, and it's so- also about finding those small successes and, and losing too. Right. Even if you know, you know, for Kyle's, daughter's team that's playing you know the, the team that hasn't been scored on right yeah you know set that as a small goal for the game hey let's score a goal against this team right and then that maybe that leads you into finding success maybe you do score the only goal of the game and you beat them and that was your small goal right like it's just having that mentality to find success and then making the kids believe that you know they can find success against that team i think a lot of times parents drive stuff into their head oh this team is ranked this and they're gonna like they're so good and it really doesn't matter right it's how do i find success and in the game itself like it doesn't matter what the team's ranked it doesn't matter if i'm odessa and i'm playing sally's first round in the playoffs right like what's what who am i going to find success just like, so it doesn't matter. that did not happen <laughs> but next year it will happen right you're gonna go to the playoffs you're gonna be the eight the first round sally's no no i'm not i'm trying to skip that first round against sally's man you're in D1, man. There is no skipping. You got to get the smoke. <laughs> you too, not the first you round. Not the first round. Bye. Not that first round. <laughs> well, you better go. You better go 13 and two. All right. Maybe. Never know. But like if you did play Sally's, right? It's about finding that success. What am I, how am I going to find success? Because automatically your kids are going to look and say, oh, these guys have won, what, 20 of the last 21 championships or whatever. Yeah. Um, and. You know, they've been winning championships longer than these kids have been alive. But it's like, what's my success? Or what am I going to find? But, with 
but there is that moment though and, that, and I, that's that is the one thing that um that I, not only will i commend scott Mosier and his staff for um and congratulations to to sally's and the sussex academy for winning the division two and the division one uh state championship um but but i watched the majority of that sally's game and sally's went up one nothing pretty early on i was texting uh Duane and kyle throughout the game and going like i have a feeling that this is going to be a, a three or four goal game like it's not going to be remotely close and all of a sudden henlopen finds themselves with a goal right and I was like, oh goodness, like that might spark life in the head into Cape. And then all of a sudden, like it's a different game. And I saw Sally's continue to do exactly what they've been doing the entire game. Like nothing really changed from a mentality. It didn't look like nothing really changed from a mentality perspective. I think the goal that they gave up was was a mistake, just like any high school age kid can make, because they're not robots, right? Like their their mistakes happen. Um, but I I watched the team that just continued to play. Continue to go through the ups and downs of every that every team goes through. It doesn't matter how good your team is. At some point, you go through a, you go through that down period in the game, and sometimes you just gotta pick yourself back up. So it's a roller coaster, right? Like it, it happens all the time. You know, there's I don't know that there are that many teams in the entire world that can keep a consistent pace for eighty to ninety minutes at the highest potential level. It's extremely difficult, right? One, because if you're at that level, that means that the, your competition is potentially decent too, right? They're good. And Cape was good. So Cape's going to play, right? Um, but I watched Sally's basically just try to be as consistent as possible, pick themselves up through the through the down moments as quickly as possible, and 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 try to push themselves even further. And I think the final was what, four to, four to two, right? Um, Something like that. Not four to two, five to two, right? But the last the last Cape goal was was kind of like in the last like two minutes of the game. But it was, it was not, it was, again, it was a consistent showing. And that I think has a lot to do with, and we've had Justin on the podcast before um, and how Justin coaches against uh, coaches at Padua with the girls, (laughs) you know, it's, it's the idea of development. It's the idea that like, yeah, we might give up a goal, but that's going to help us three games from now. Right. Like, because we're going to learn from, you know, building out of the back and we might give up a goal in this game and that's okay. Cause you know, Three games from now, when we're playing a much tougher opponent, that's where it's going to come in, right? Like, and little things like that. Again, that's the idea of the the long term success over the short term, um, like winning to a certain extent. Um, so I think you know that's that was a big part of it for me. Um, uh, Mike, Kyle, you two are a resident like college soccer experts to a certain yeah. extent here. Uh, can you give us any updates of the world of college soccer and like what's going on around the the country? I know Kyle's heavily plugged into the men's college world soccer. Just <laughs> yeah, like the Kuka, is that the Kuka College update? <laughs> no, oh, no, I don't. I I don't have that. Um, I, do, I, I do not have that. Um, aside from Syracuse going out and not defending, but you know, having it, it it's interesting the season that they had. Um, there, you know, when you look at the number of ties, I mean, when you're going through the ACC, I mean, it's just I, that's what's blown me away. It's just the amount of parity this year, um, you know, just, you know, on both sides. Um, but um, the the D3 tournament has been has been really interesting. Um, you know, I, I think I said last year that the number of teams from the NESCAT get that get in every year always kind of, you know, 
puts people like how many teams could you let in from one conference and then they all just continue to advance and advance and you know make a case every year uh, but I think the biggest thing of note is Washington College so you know if we're I, I mean in Delaware you have to kind of expand your horizons a little bit as far as what's <laughs> yeah. local because we don't have as many local colleges but I would say I don't know the distance from Washington College to us but that's we'll call them a local team um they've made the men's final four uh for division three for the first time um the furthest they had ever advanced was one time being in the sweet 16 um so i'm just one of these coaches that loves or i guess fans not coaches um that loves because i i've experienced it myself as a coach um you know, doing things for the first time, you know, with a university and things like that or at any level. So I think Washington College is probably the coolest story um, in college soccer right now on the boys side, um, just because, um, you know, they kind of maybe fly a little bit under the radar. They play in a, a good conference with the Centennial Conference, but they don't have, you know, the name of, a, you know, a Haverford or a Hopkins or something like that. So, for them to advance to any team to advance to a final four. Um, I think that's a, a, a great thing. And then, you know, of course you have a NESCAC team in the final four. Um, you always will. Um, Amherst, a former foe of mine. Um, so um, I think there's some really good matchups there. Um, and then, you know, the division one tournament continues to, to plug along. Obviously the ACC continues to have, um, you know, success, but the Indiana game, I was texting Dwayne and Sebastian, you know, throughout the Indiana game, again, talk about a program that just, um, the expectation and level, um, they had, they did an interview with a transfer the other day who had come in, um, who his team the year before had won their conference and advanced to the sweet 16. Um, and he said during one of their initial, uh, or meetings at Indiana, you know, we're not, you know, the statement was we're not one of these programs that winning our conference or getting to a sweet 16 is success to us. Right. Just that's, you know, that's not who they are. Um, and again, when their backs were against the wall, you can question. I mean, obviously, one of the best goals of the tournament. I don't know how it wasn't the ESPN top goal um, the other day. It finished in number two behind a relatively poorly executed bicycle kick that went off the guy's shin. Um, but, um, you know, but. <laughs> The, uh, you know, the goal that was scored, you know, I showed it to you guys, you know, was pretty spectacular. Um, the question was, how was he still on the field? Um, but, oh, we digress. Um, so I love, you know, I, I can't wait for the next round of the Division One tournament. The uh, D3 tournament will be picking him back up again next week with its final four. Um, and I'd love to see, love to see Washington College. Um you know, to continue their path. There's been some great games. Um, I think it's interesting now the PK shootouts um, and the overtime because they've won away from having overtime in the college game. So I think that um, that it, there does seem to be some different tactical, um, you know, strategies being employed when they get to overtime because they're not seeing it all season long. So it's, um, I've seen that there's, when games get to overtime, there seems to be less of a let's win this in overtime and more like we'll take our chances with PKs um, type thing. Um, 
So yeah, as long as it's not that Delaware PK rule. Oh yeah. Yeah, I was gonna say, man. That, I, I don't think Mike knows about that. Yeah. Can we go through the? Yeah, I don't. Can, I've never. All right. So so Mike, in Delaware, in high school, P- boys, high school soccer. In high school, Delaware high school soccer. If you go into a PK shootout at any playoff, any playoff format, um, you get to pick five five kids to take a kick. A kick. Any five kids. Any five kids, whether they were on the field or off the field, any five kids, um, you take you get to pick five kids. Now, if you uh, tie after the first five game, the five first five PKs, the logical thing to do would, in theory, be to go to a sudden death, you know, one and one kind of thing. Well, not in Delaware. Um, the same five kids have to take another five, five PKs. So you go through another round of five PKs in the same order, in the same order. You just reverse who starts. Um, should you tie again? Which happened? Which which did which, happen? Which did happen? Dwayne was at that game. Um, you do finally go to a sudden death, but it's still the same five kids that are taking the PKs. <laughs> yeah. So, uh, so if if you're a, if you're a Delaware high school coach and you have uh, playoff aspirations, I would only train five six kids to take PKs. The rest and of them don't matter. Yeah, you don't have to worry about there's 11 players. Should we continue that conversation about the disconnect between administration and coaches again? <laughs> Clearly, this is not coaches that are that are having a say in how these rules are put together. No. Well, the, the crazy part was the coaches don't even know the rules because they've all been in PK shootouts where it's first five and then sudden death. Yeah, because they don't make any because they don't make any sense because some no. dude that's probably never played the game sitting in an office by himself made the rule. Yeah. Yep. So Wayne was texting it in live. I wasn't understanding what he was saying. Yeah, we were going like, through like, wait, what do you mean the same kid? I was like, the already? Same like, you gone through eleven players? He's like, nope. <laughs> That's wild. Yeah. So, so in theory, the kids that take it in sudden death have to take three PKs. So your first shooter potentially takes three penalties if it's tied, which is Look, absolutely. Could you also imagine what the kid? Who misses in the first round is going through when he goes up to take his to take his second, another one, or his third, <laughs> or his or, or, third. or his for that matter. Like imagine a poor kid if he misses number one and number two and has to go take a third. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> what are we doing to that kid? Yeah. We are crushing. Yeah, I mean, I don't have anywhere else to shoot. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah. Um, Mike, you got any updates on the women's college uh, soccer front? I, I think uh, you've been keeping up with it or no. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I I have. Um Nova South. Don't you go to Nova Southeastern, Sebastian? I went to Nova Southeastern. Yeah, Nova Southeastern made the uh yeah, volume. Yeah, they are. But doing better I than think- Cooper College. <laughs> <laughs> not only not only not only did I go to Nova Southeastern, I coached at Nova Southeastern. I was uh I was I was on the coaching staff for for, uh, for two years. We're gonna have to continue the Cuca College thing after we stop recording. <laughs> <laughs> hey, you're talking I to the potential new coach at Cuca College. I I can I will fill you in. <laughs> <laughs> so the uh, I think something that's pretty interesting, at least for where I am right now, is two of our local schools are going to be meeting in the next round of the NCAA Division Two. Um, so oh, wow. we obviously being here in Charlotte, we have some. And and with the independence, I would say we have some tight ties with Lenore Ryan and Catawba, and they are one and two seed right now in the Division uh-huh. Two, which is which is awesome. And they're going to be playing um, in this next round. I think they play the first of December. Um, so that'll be that's kind of fun. 
I think something that's been a really, really interesting story in the division one tournament has been Pitt. Um, and the reason why I think is because it's like almost like a continuation of what Randy was doing in the world cup. Um, Randy Waldrum, the head coach of Pitt, um, was, um, obviously the head coach for Nigeria also in the world cup and took them on a really good run. And now all of a sudden they're in Pitts in an elite eight as a seven seed. Um, and anybody that is familiar, obviously with the division one women's game knows Randy Waldrum, right? Like he was a long time head coach at Notre Dame and won a national championship at Notre Dame and, um, has had a very storied career. I've also been really lucky to have had many conversations with Randy. Um, we stayed at the same hotel la- last year as them when they were up playing Boston college, we were playing Northeastern. Um, so I got to spend some time with him there. I mean, he's a, he's a really good guy. He's a great coach. So I think if you know him, you know that what he's doing is not, it's not extraordinary by his standards. It's not something that like you would look at him. You wouldn't be surprised by the success, but Pitt's on a great run right now. So here he goes, he's doing it again at a, at, I think a job where many people thought it was an unwinnable job um, at Pitt. Uh, especially being in the ACC and and their product being a lot different um, than the standard ACC products, um, and now doing it after he, um, after he had that set, that great run in, in the World Cup, and and I think for me the big thing that that tells me is, it's funny because as we've gone through this evolution with with U.S. soccer, and we hear it all the time on the men's side, and now we're starting to hear it on the women's side, uh, even coming from our new women's coach Emma Hayes, who started her career as a women's college coach and has talked openly about how we need to do away with the college system in this country. It's really interesting to me that we're looking at college coaches that are really great coaches. And I think Randy now is showing like, he's not just a good college coach. He might be one of the best coaches in the world uh, with what he did in the world cup. And I think it's something that has always, aggravated me as a, as a longtime college coach is that like we need to put this argument to bed especially on the women's side that that the college system is is harming soccer in the united states because it's not the college system made soccer on the women's side in the united states and some of the best coaches that we have in the u.s are coaching college soccer because of the the security that you have because of the money that's being invested in it and randy is a prime example of that um and we've had some failed coaches on the women's side that came from the pro system uh, and let down our national team probably because they just weren't good enough coaches. So, you know, it, I think for me, that's a really interesting thing. Cause I was like, okay, here's a guy that made a run internationally um, with an underfunded, under-resourced side. Uh, and now is making a run in the college game. Kudos to him. He's a great coach, his team, and they play awesome soccer. They're a lot of fun to watch. They have a really tough game coming up today against Florida State. So they'll get, you know, they'll test their medal today. Um, but what a great, what a great story they are because I know, I mean, as recently, listen, in 2019, I took my Delaware team to Pitt and we beat Pitt at Pitt. Uh, and, you know, I think it was his second year. Um, you know, when I was at NC State, Pitt was a, a bottom dweller in the ACC. So what he's done is incredible. And him and his staff and his team and his administration, they should be applauded for it because they've done an unbelievable, they've done an incredible job. So I, I hope they continue their run. I really do. I would love to see them go to a final four. Um, 
you know, but it's it's also interesting seeing the the transition. I mean, he's he's done it. He's done it everywhere, including internationally. It's really wild to see. Well, I think I think there's a there's potentially an advantage to the the I think the advantage that that college soccer in the United States gives you from a coaching and potentially a playing perspective when you go in an international tournament like a World Cup or an Olympics, for example, is the fact that like it's the the environment. You're used to the game every three to four days, right? Which yeah. if you're at the professional level, unless you're playing in the Champions League, you're not really used to that consistently. Um, and you're used to the idea of like, you you know, you're you're losing, you're out kind of thing, or like every game matters. And, and I think the college system to a certain extent does that, right? With the idea of not only do you have your regular season play, but you also have your conference play. And without, you know, certain wins in your conference, you don't make the playoffs and then you get into the playoffs. And then after that, you get into the tournament and everything else. So that like one and done mentality or, or environment, I think is a great experience from a college perspective that could give you an idea that the youth national level or at the national level, when you go into these tournaments, because it's, because if you're, it, especially on the women's side, I mean, there are some like youth international tournaments, but not a ton. And especially as the, as a senior team, there's only what two that really are like really jumping out at you. I mean, you have the, um, you have the CONCACAF ones, but even those, even, or even the world cup qualifiers, they're, they're spread out. They're not like right on top of each other. Right. So, so it is a, it is a, I think there's potentially an advantage there from that standpoint. Um, all right, let's uh let's let's Hold shift up, Sebastian, real quick before we're gonna stay in college sports for one second. Okay, go ahead. Off the rails a little bit. Probably coolest story right now. Aaron Matson, UNC, four-year national champion as a player in field hockey, tells her AD in the middle of her senior year of college she's gonna be the next head coach. And he says, Go win me a national championship and we'll talk. Finishes out the year gets hired at 23 years old, youngest head coach, wins a national championship as her first year as a coach. Wow. That's a college story. How amazing. 23-year-old national champion. Um, and I can't. I wish I got more coverage. Um, but four-time national champ as a player and then comes in in her first year. We talked about it last year with the two first-year head coaches on the women, you know, yeah. the women's head coaches. So, coaches. you know, so continuing that trend, um, you know, again this year, which was just a cool story. Actually, Elisa brought it to my attention, and then I saw it. So it's pretty good. Um, College athletics, man, nothing better. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Um, uh, let's quickly touch base on what happened on um, Tuesday. So uh, Tuesday, Argentina was supposed to play in Brazil. Well, played in Brazil at the Maracanã Stadium. Um, and uh, before the game started, during the national anthems, um, the Brazilian fans started throwing things at the Argentinian fans. First of all, not it, this, this is not that normal thing that happens in South America where a... <laughs> uh, no, not the throwing things. The... Uh, the, the the player or the fans were put at the bottom section in between two Brazilian sections. Normally uh, at that international level, the away fans get put into the top part of the stadium in a corner by themselves with usually like empty <laughs> space to the right and to the left. Right. 
not in this situation for whatever reason. Um, and uh, so they put them at the bottom and uh, and things didn't go well. And then the police started coming in and started beating the Argentinian fans. Then the players came over. Um, there's videos of that all over the place of like the players trying to like stop the police. Dibu Martinez trying to like, <laughs> like legitimately like take the stick off of one of the police officers. Um, and it was an absolute disaster. Uh, off for 30 minutes, came back on, um, went out and played. <clears throat> Some Brazilian players clearly didn't get the message of like, this is not okay. Like this isn't something that we should be making fun of. Um, but, but they just didn't. Um, so then, uh, Argentina goes out and wins. Um, and Messi played with a pulled muscle pretty much for the entire 73 minutes that he played. Um, I'm pretty sure he got hurt 30 seconds into the game and then just continued to play. Um, uh, and Argentina won, um, which was a historic thing for multiple reasons. One, Brazil's never lost three World Cup qualifying games in a row. Um, and they did. Uh, and also, Brazil had never lost a World Cup qualifying game at home, um, which they they now did. Um, so that was a that was an interesting dynamic. And then and then as we talk about this idea of mental health and pressure, the Argentina coach gets to the press conference and uh, in the last the last question goes, um, "Let me just tell you, let me just bring up one more thing. Um, it takes a lot of uh, energy, and the, these players deserve a lot." Um, and deserve a coach that like is hundred percent into it. And, uh, I need to think, I need to think, cause I'm not sure if, uh, yeah, if I have that in me and just gets up and walks out. And so like, so now <laughs> you have this one, one fantastic moment. And this one moment of panic of like, Oh my God, no, <laughs> we can't lose our coach. Uh, <laughs> so, uh, so yeah, so definitely an interesting, interesting dynamic. Um, I watched part of it, but I know, I know I'm assuming all three of you did. I know Dwayne and Kyle, I think we're watching and Mike. I'm guessing you probably were as well, unless you had training the USA against Trinidad Tobago game. Um, Serginio, <laughs> Serginio Des is the unfair player of the week award. Probably across yeah, he the, board, is the right? worst player in us history. <laughs> like, what is wrong with you, dude? <laughs> Not only that, I think I'm pretty sure I'm pretty sure Matt Turner wanted to fight him after the game and, Sergio Des was like, all right, bring it on. Like, let's go. I mean, like, dude, I mean, he was upset about like the foul that he thought was a foul. And then he was upset that the ball didn't go all the way out. And like, you kicked the ball in the stands. Like, yo, get over it. Like, it's not even nothing. It wasn't even like another player was like hacking him and it wasn't getting called. One of them was your fault that you couldn't keep the ball in bounds. And the second one was questionable as if it was a foul. Um, I think looking at the game and how it was played, it probably wasn't a foul. And you just punt the ball in the stands. Like, it wasn't even that kind of game. When you're up one nothing in a now 4 nothing aggregate, like... <laughs> yeah, like, you're, like, I'm chilling. Like, it don't even matter. Like, in reality, it doesn't even matter what the Trinidad players are saying to you. You're like, yo, scoreboard. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah, I, I, listen, you know me, I'm a, I'm a junkie when it comes to U.S. soccer. Um, so I love... I love everything U.S. soccer. I definitely saw the game. I watched both games. Um, you know, 
my concern and I, and I have, you know, I'm like anybody else I'm watching from the outside looking in, but my concern is that this might be a symptom of a bigger problem within this team. And that's, that's what I worry about. Um, is that, is this, is this, you know, just kind of like a little peek behind the curtain for all of us, because Mm -hmm. there is a, there's clearly a problem there. Um, you, you know, even with the way, Listen, sometimes people see red and they lose their they just lose their minds. I get that. I mean, we've seen that before it, with other teams and other games. Um, what was more concerning to me was the interactions between him and his teammates as he was leaving the field. Uh, and then for I think for Greg Burhalter to almost so casually brush it off during the postgame of he made a mistake, he apologized to his teammates, and we're moving forward. Well, Really? Nah, because that because that that's a casual explanation for a situation that was not so casual. And mm-hmm. really, the way that game went, it, it's not like they were able to sit in two banks of four for the rest of the game and just see out the game no problem, right? Like the way that mm-hmm. Trinidad did compared to Trinidad, the way they did in the first game, they sat back in two banks of four and they really absorbed a ton of pressure from the US, but they were the game was not out of control for Trinidad. And I, yes, mm-hmm. I understand they gave up three goals the last 10 minutes of that game, but until that last 10 minutes, and even in that last 10 minutes, the goals kind of came out of, out of just singular moments. It was not a, it was not this buildup of pressure the way that Trinidad was able to do to the U S. So that game could have gone sideways real quick for the U S with, with the U S being up a player, the majority of that, that second, yeah, yeah, all of the second half and part of the first half in the first game. Well, the, the, the second game for the U.S. could, I think, could have gone sideways very easily. And there was a part of me while I'm watching that game where I'm like, okay, I, listen, I understand that we have the lead in aggregate right now, but this could become a problem very quickly if, if Trinidad's able to nick another goal. Um, and they were, clo- they were close a couple of times. And they were close a couple a couple times, right? Like Tur- Turner, I think, you know, didn't, didn't shine on the two goals that they scored. And, and obviously, I think the field to a degree played a part in that. You could see on the first one, he, he slips a little bit. But mm-hmm. he also made a big time save later on in that game down to his right, where he pushed a ball away. That if that ball goes into the back of the net, we could be having a completely different conversation right now. And my my concern is that I I don't I probably don't disagree that at the time when Burhalter was first hired, he was probably, you know, he I think he showed that he was probably one of the right people or a right choice, a proper choice for that job when he was hired the first time around. It was a really young team. I think he did a good job of building camaraderie. I think that goes to show with the amount of dual nationals that they were able to bring into the program and the the way that the team, the way the team gelled over his first cycle. I'm not a big fan of second cycle coaches. And I don't know, like I look at it now and I'm like, okay, well, have we gotten to a point where now the, the scales have tipped and the inmates are running the asylum? Mm-hmm. Because that's my concern with like, listen, he did what he had to do with, with Weston McKinney when Weston McKinney during the first cycle had his little, his little, you know, foray outside the hotel, I guess you could say. <laughs> um, had the issue with Gio, with Gio Reyna, um, which he probably admit, I think he would probably admit this probably didn't handle it super well. Um, <laughs> And now there's an issue with with Serginio Dest, and I'm really curious to see. Number one, why do these issues continue continue to pop up? Yeah. And number two, um, how's he going to handle it? Is he just going to bring him right in for this next this next camp in next camp of consequence in in March when 
He knows Sergio Dest isn't going to be able to play the first game, but he will be eligible to play the second game. Is he going to put him right back in the lineup? Is he going to bring him into camp, sit him for the first game, and put him right back into the lineup? Um, no, this isn't his first red card either. Yeah, and it's not his first red card. In the uh, Mexico game in, in yeah. June. Yeah. And, and, and granted, that was a game there was a bunch of dust-ups in general, but still, like, is this a player that you can continue to count on when you go into these knockout stages that is he even going to be able to be on the field? And are we going to be able to stay level with 11 men? Because I think, I think it's also part of the fact that like you look at a player like Sergio Dest and you're like, listen, man, like you're not 19 years old, right? You're not, you're, you're not, this isn't your first, you're, we're not picking you up from your first, first team experience. You've now yeah. played, played and play at some big time clubs. I, I, the excuse isn't there, right? Like, well, it's it's an, an, is that it's also the reason why he's not at Barcelona right now? That's exactly right. Like, I mean, it's also an indictment on Sergio Dest, isn't it? Because, like, for some reason or another, things work out of Barcelona. For some reason or another, things didn't work out at Milan. Well, you know, eventually people are going to start asking, well, is it the environment or is it the player? Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it, it's it's almost as if like when I, when you go back and you rewatch the game and you look at the way that he was hand and he's done this in multiple games where he, the way he handles himself, it's almost as if he's better. He, he almost as if he's better than the game, right? Well, no, well, clearly you're not better than the game. Um, And so, but again, somebody has to take control of this. Who's going to take control of Mm -hmm. it, right? Like is Burhalter the one that is going to be able to take control of this group and say like, listen, this is, this is a problem because the one thing that this team is lacking outside of Tim Ream is like Tim Ream is the only elder yeah. statesman in the team. So like, yeah, and and clearly, so clearly, I don't think this is going to be a player-driven situation with Sardinio Dest. This this is one of those ones where, as as the coach, you need to tighten your grip and rule with an iron fist and say, "I'm not dealing with this anymore." Yeah. Uh, and we're gonna we're not gonna call you in for the next window of consequence because you don't deserve it. And now he, and Scally, here's your opportunity or whoever, whoever you think is ready for it. But I think, but then I also think the other thing is like, listen, some of these things are popping up. This thing popped up with Gio Reyna. This thing is popping up. This thing popped up with Sergio Dest and the team is not playing great, you know? And I think you could look back to a very recent history and, and it's, I'm not trying to be that person like, Hey, BJ Callahan should be the head coach of our national team. But you know what? When BJ was coaching the team, yeah. they were beating teams they were supposed to beat the way they were supposed to beat them. Yeah. And so I will say that. And maybe it was a situation where it was just kind of like laissez faire and hey guys, go play. Well, whatever the hell it took, man, they were it they were beating teams supposed to play them. Yeah. Um and I'm, you know, uh, it's I, I worry that this might be a symptom of a bigger problem. And that's that's my biggest concern with the Sergio Dust stuff is, is it bigger than what we're if it's just an on the field thing and just a kid that lost his mind, then so be it. It is what it is. You sit him out for a couple of windows. Maybe you bring him back in six months, eight months, whatever it is. But like, is it something worse than that? Yeah. Is it, is it something where these kids are going in the camp and they think that they can do whatever they want to do and not have any consequences because Berhalter's a vibes guy like. Yeah, I, I don't know. Too much time spending, you know, with Kyle out there looking for Jordans. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's the problem. Burhalter is also going to be the kickback this afternoon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> All right. Well, uh, before we, before we wrap up, let's uh, let's do the player of the match. Uh, Dwayne, you got one? 
Yeah, I got one. It's going to go out to one of my kids, Cullen. Um, I had an end of season player meetings earlier this week, and um, I got a text. His mom's also my team manager. I got a text yesterday saying, like, you know, they were kind of doing something in their family where what are they thankful for? And he was thankful that I was his coach, and he didn't get a crappy coach this year. Um, in his words, I know those are. I know those were his words. Too. He's like, I got a good coach and not a crappy coach. So, like, shout out to Cullen. <laughs> nice, nice. Um, Kyle, you got player of the match. I do. Um, because I just pre-ordered the book, so mine's gonna go to Paul Mullen. Um, and I know it seems kind of cliche, but I just, you know, in watching him interact as I've watched the second season of um Rexham and also with his book coming out, I just completely adore his willingness to be so open and honest with his relationship with his son. Um, and, and as Mike kind of alluded to earlier, you know, we talk about the challenge of being a coach and a dad. Um, and again, I, I feel like you can see sincerity in people, you know, obviously it's a Hollywood script as far as what they're trying to put together with the show, but, um, you know, just the book coming out, you know, I I've, I've seen excerpts of it, you know, his willingness to openly talk about, um, you know, his son's condition, but also advocate, um, you know, going through, I just think that's an amazing story. And Mike, when you go to talking about administration, I think it's interesting. I think we're getting a sneak peek with Wrexham a little bit. And I know it's this big, like, what is this club really? But I mean, I don't know what, we truly don't know what, you know, Ryan Reynolds and Rob McElhinney's initial intention was. I feel it was sincere, but like, you can see with those interactions with everybody on that team what is possible if people feel like people care about them, right? I mean, if you look at the small little side stories in season two about, you know, spouses falling ill and, you know, in, in different the things. Women's, the, women's team, the women's team. Yeah, yeah. Their answer is always yes. Do whatever you need to do, right? I mean, with the risk of losing millions of dollars without promotion, you need to be away from the team for five weeks. Go, right? You need to deal with this. Go. Um, so I hope it doesn't come out later that it was, you know, truly Oscar, but I don't think it is. But that, I mean, when you look at what we're talking about with the mental health side of things, I think a lot of Wrexham success comes, people want to be there, right? Mm-hmm. People, people want to be there, not just to be on the show, but because they feel like, you know, it's a place that will support them in everything they do. So um, I love that Paul Mullen's book is coming out. Um, I'm excited to read it. Um, and, you know, I just love the interaction. So he's my player because I, I love the celebration with the A. Um, I love everything about it. So um, Paul Mullen's my player of the match. Nice. And he will continue to be. There you go. Super Paul Mullen. <laughs> <laughs> Mike, you got one? Yeah, I'm going to go with somebody that we all know, Sarah D'Apollonia, who just worked yes. her way into starting lineup for the first time um, with the Melbourne victory. Um, I was stoked for her. It was a big move for her to go from um, to go from you know where she was last year in the NPL over in Australia to go make the jump into the A League and into a you know an established first division women's pro league, um, and then to hop into a team that's been you know pretty much top half of the league every every year i mean she's playing for one of the best teams in the a league um so she went in and got signed right before the season started got signed during preseason um was coming off the bench in her first few games and then just this past weekend made her first start against the top team in the league played nine went 90 minutes uh tied tied against perth glory so um 
you know, I'm I'm just really proud of her. I mean, she is a kid. You know, it's interesting. Like, I, I really wish I and I hope that kids that are going into college, um, you know, you hear this a lot. Like, what what would you tell me? What what advice would you give me when when players are going into new environments and they yeah. ask players that have been in the environment? I mean, God, look at look at her story. Like yeah. she the answer was always to to get the advice that she needed to get, put her nose, her head down, put her nose to the grindstone and work harder. And she has continually just worked to up her level every time. She she never placed blame on other people. She never looked for external reasons why things weren't going her way. And she was, but she was also not the player that walked into situations and things always went her way. She wasn't that kid, you know, like she was a kid that was playing like eight to nine minutes a game her freshman year at Delaware and then worked her way to become a conference player of the year candidate. And, you know, she didn't go to a school like Florida state or UNC, but worked her way to become a top flight professional player in in one of the top women's pro leagues in the world. Um, And and I have no doubt that she'll continue to climb that professional ladder for herself because she just, she understands what you need to do to be successful. Um, And it's all internal. Yeah. Um, you know, she stands that her competition is her mindset. Yeah. Um, and she, I'm just really, really proud of her. So her, I'm not surprised by her success, but I'm really thrilled for her success because, um, she deserves it, man. She's a great kid. Um, and I'm glad that she's, she's seeing out her dream. So. No, that's fantastic. And I think, um, we had her on the podcast during the women's world cup. Um, when she went to watch one of the games and and she was talking about that potential transition um and that was that was awesome to hear her perspective of the fact that like she was looking for outside like extra training on her on her own and with her teammates and you know she was babysitting and dog sitting and doing all these things extra just to to be able to live out her dream which is like it's that sacrifice that we always talk about right like that's what you want you want that player and, and Sarah's Sarah's an awesome not only an awesome player, but an awesome human being, which is which is kind of what you, yeah. you always want, right? Um, I don't want to get her in trouble, but Quinn wears her old practice shirt like six nights a week to bed. Nice. <laughs> it's a dress on her. <laughs> I don't know if you're supposed to give that away or not. <laughs> <laughs> um, my 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 uh my player of the match is going to go out to our uh, our very good friend of the podcast, um, Kelly Brown, um. Uh, just uh, got announced uh, that she is going to be the coach of the NOCO Rain, the North Colorado, North Colorado Rain uh, out in Windsor, Colorado. Uh, she's going to be coaching the USL Super Women's Team, um, right? The USLS. Yeah, uh, super. Yeah, USLS. Uh, team which is a brand new professional league uh that's the the usl starting next fall um so she's going to be one of 12 head coaches in that league 10 or 12 head coaches they haven't fully locked down with it it's going to be 10 or 12 teams um but uh an amazing facility out in windsor that's uh that's just opening up right now um so big congratulations to kelly i know we we're going to have kelly on the podcast in the next couple of weeks uh, to talk about the new job and and what that'll entail, um, but but again, when we talk about people that are that are just good for the game, that are doing their things the right way, doing things for the right reasons, 
uh kelly kelly's on the top of that list so uh so congratulations to kelly that's my player of the match all right uh on this day in soccer history and i feel like this is a good one um so so most of us either at one point or another played played soccer uh the three of you played college soccer i i didn't um but uh what was there was always that question and even as from a coaching standpoint like what do you do after you're done coaching you know what are you doing after you're done with soccer well the professional level that happens all the time um michael owen who we all remember uh yep there you go michael owen who we all remember from the england national team among other teams uh i have a very memory of michael owen uh, against argentina but that's not on that's not on this day in history uh but november 24th 2017 um, Michael Owen becomes uh has his debut as a horse jockey. What? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. What? Yes. <laughs> so he decided uh he decided to be an owner and a breeder of racehorses. Um in November 24th, also a Friday, uh 2017 in the 12.15 at Ascot. Uh he was 37. He made uh his debut as a jockey. Uh, he lost, um, <laughs> but um, yeah. So he uh, he also took him a month to like actually make the kind of weight that you needed. Um, yeah, interesting. He was always a little guy. Yeah, yeah, that's yeah. What I was gonna say he was a little guy anyway, right? So it wasn't. Yeah. Uh, he <laughs> said. He said. Uh, he said. He uh, he had the same feeling he had playing the World Cup quarterfinals against Brazil. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Uh, yeah, there you go. You never know. You never know. You never know what anyone someone's gonna end up doing. Um, yeah, when they hang up the boots. When you hang up the boots, maybe you become a horse jockey. <laughs> Your horse riding boots. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Put for the Sunday league. Yeah, yeah. There you go. Um, all right, the Dan Simmons Fair Play of the Week Award. Um, mine's gonna go to Angel Di Maria. Uh, he announced officially, uh, even though people were trying to convince him, he announced officially that he's going to be retiring from the, uh, from the Argentinian national team after the Copa America in 2024. Uh, so this past Tuesday was his last world cup qualifying game ever, um, with the Argentinian national team. Um, and I think he deserves it from, he's the player that I think after the 2014 world cup. Um, and even the 2010 World Cup, he was one of the players that was criticized the most um, for not being not being able to be one of the the guys um, because he got hurt right before the finals and things like that. And he was able always to do it for Real Madrid, um, and not not able to do it for uh, for for Argentina. Um, and then ultimately becomes the player that scored in all three of the uh, finals that. Argentina was in um, the Copa America, the Finalissima, and the World Cup. Scored in all three of those games. Um, so uh, I think I think he deserves it from from that standpoint. Um, and it'll be it'll definitely be interesting to see the national team without without him on there. Um, so that's my fair play. Farewell tour for Anhel, right? Yeah, man. I'm just I'm just excited that the the December seventh is the Copa America World Cup or the Copa America draw. Um, it's December 7th. I know the finals and the, the first match and the finals got announced 
Atlantis has the final and Inter Miami. Inter Miami had the final. Maybe Inter Miami has the final and Atlanta has the first the opening the opening game something like that. Yeah, I think Inter Miami has the final. Hard Rock is going to host the final. I think Hard Rock's yeah. yeah, So the fix is already in. Argentina's (laughs) going to the final, playing Messi's home stadium. No, it's not the home stadium. Put your bet. Go ahead and put your bet in. Inter Miami doesn't play the Hard Rock. Inter Miami plays. That's the Dolphin Stadium, right? Yeah, it's the Dolphin Stadium. Yeah, it's a little F one, the F one course. That is also the F one course. Yeah. All the Miami things that are not in Miami. Yeah. Because <laughs> neither the Inter Miami Stadium or the Hard Rock are in Miami. They're not even in Miami Dade County. Yeah. They're not even yeah, in that. Nothing, nothing for New York is in New York. It's not even in the state. It's yeah. true. <laughs> just, the, just those bills, right? The New York bills. <laughs> that's, that's right. The New York, the New York bills. <laughs> There you go. That's, um, why, that's that's why we call Syracuse New York's team, man. It's like only team. <laughs> there you go. All right. Uh, let's go over the other way now. Uh, Mike, fair play of the week. Oh, man. You, Sebastian. Thanks. You're the fair play of the week. For what? <laughs> no, no in, all, in, in all seriousness, I was reading through the um, I was reading through the document that you send out um, prior to us doing these shows. Um, and one of the things that you had mentioned in there was um, somebody that helped you in your coaching career. And you are somebody that helped me in my coaching career when I really needed an opportunity to get back out into the field and um, build my confidence back up. I got this unexpected, uh, unique opportunity to work with you. And it was one of the best experiences of my career. Um, And I will always be thankful for that. And I will always say it uh, till I'm blue in the face because we don't talk enough about stuff like that about the people that helped us when we needed it. And I was at a place where I needed somebody to help pick me up and you were there. And um I'll never, there'll never be a moment that I won't be thankful for that. And I want you to know that. So. Thank you. I appreciate that, man. Thanks. You gave him that press pass. You gave him that press pass. You had to sit at the booth. Couldn't walk around. <laughs> 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 Especially was stuck for an hour. Like, man, I can't move. <laughs> I can't move. I can't go. But listen, like in all, in all seriousness, like that was um like, I don't know. I don't know if it was written all over my face that day when I was when I was at that coaches convention. I went to go see. I wanted to go see that one thing. I think I told you guys this. I wanted to, there was one presenter that I wanted to see and one just one talk, whatever it was, you know, seminar that I wanted to sit in on. Um, but like that day, like th- that's the kind of thing that I'm talking about, Sebastian. Right? Like that. Um, I didn't really talk to anybody about that. I think Nicole, my wife might've been the only person I spoke to about how difficult that day was. But like, I was walking around that convention center with my hat pulled down with my head like that. I didn't yeah. want anybody to see me. Yeah. Um, you know, I had just lost my job and I was, I didn't, you know, even walking around there, it's what I had done for the past 20 years, right? Like I had been a college coach for 20, 20 years. And, um, I was walking around that place as if, cause I, with the feeling in my heart that I really didn't belong there. And like, why am I here? And, you know, people are probably, you know, like you walk down the hallway and you know, like, listen, I'm not that important. (laughs) Like I'm not that important, but you see people like, and you, and you automatically think that it's, they're talking about me. They're talking about how I got fired. Like I was ashamed. I was, I I had this sense of shame walking around that place. And which is why I I literally was there for 45 minutes. Um, The entire time that that convention was going on, I was there for 45 minutes of the convention to see one thing because I felt like it hit home with me. Um, 
and that was the place that I was in mentally at that time. And then I was able to work with you all spring. And by the time I left Delaware, I was in a way better place as a coach, as a person, um, than I was when I started that journey. And that's, you know, that's the power that we can have to help one another as people. Like we can all do that for somebody. Yep. And you did me. And I'll and I will never forget that. Um so yeah, it's funny. I think I think about that day too, and I and I and I laugh about it. But my, I I also remember it being one of the more uncomfortable days of. of sure, yeah. yeah, it was super yeah. uncomfortable. Yeah, I, I have a thought about that in a second, uh, Kyle. Um, so my fair play with the coaching side of things, um, goes kind of backwards. Um, to a former assistant coach of mine, uh, you know, Danny Peckham, um. And the reason it does is because, um, you know, he was a player that I coached. And when you talk about players that help you or coaches that have helped you, um, you know, similar, I was at a spot where um, my former assistant coach, things didn't go well at the end. Um, and I almost went that I was just going to not have an assistant. I had lost trust um, there, you know, some things that had went on. Um, so you always think about how you help coaches into their career right and and lead them into what they do um and and danny came in at the perfect time i remember um you know telling him what what we could pay him <laughs> what he would get out of it um and he was just immediately all in um so it you know usually we talk about these mentors that you know we followed in their footsteps um we're we're friends to this day he's one of the closest people um he visited you know uh, about a month ago with his family um, he continues to coach. Um, but you know, when I saw that on the, uh, on the sheet, you know, he's the first person that popped in my head was not somebody that I feel like I mentored, you know, but we talk about, you know, players and what they did for us. And, you know, he came in at the right time, um, and just had the right perspective. Um, and he gave me a purpose because like I said, I felt like I had lost it with a previous assistant. I was like, well, why even bring somebody in if they're not going to help with the program and I can't mentor them, like, I'll just do it myself, um, you know, and he provided that platform, you know, for somebody to listen and, and want to learn. So um, probably one of my proudest coaching moments was was getting him into the field. But also, you know, and I've told him, I said, if you didn't come in that year, um, it would have been a disaster because you can't do it on your own. Um, so mine goes out to we call them Doc. Um, Doc. <laughs> Wayne, go ahead. Um, I guess I'm going to continue the chain of people that help me out. Um, just shout out to my 2010 boys team. Um, again, player end of season player, um, meetings, just kind of like an exit meeting, not really an exit meeting. Cause obviously we're playing for 10 months. Um, but it was just good to get feedback to see, you know, I didn't know any of these kids four months ago. Um, so I thought it'd be a useful tool to kind of see, you know, we kind of hit the ground running, went right into training, but good to see their feedback and understand what they what they wanted to get out of the season and what what they want to get and that they want to continue to improve they want to continue to compete um and even for the kids that didn't get into a lot of matches that were, were training primarily um that they understood the process and that they, they're ready to continue to compete and fight for for everything and you know get into that first team and get those first team minutes so shout out to them um before we wrap up i want to i want to bring up that I hope that we can continue to potentially make this a kind of a yearly tradition. I don't think Dwayne, I don't think in the last three years we've done anything particular special or different for Thanksgiving or that this like Thanksgiving episode per se. 
Um, but I do think that, you know, when I look back a year ago, um, where I was mentally and professionally, uh, knowing that I was leaving a club that I was, uh, super connected to. And I think in, within that year, um, I think I've had very personal, uh, conversations with all three of you, um, about not only myself, but about, but, but the, the changes, cause all three of all four of us in the last year have gone through different changes. Uh, from a professional standpoint, which I think is the kind of the interesting part of where, where we were a year ago. Um, and I think we can, can, I hope that obviously the, the podcast is a little bit of that avenue from a mental health perspective for me to not only separate myself, but also just talk about some of the things that sometimes I don't want to talk to without a, without a microphone present. Um, but I hope we can almost make this a yearly tradition of just like letting this, letting this day um, yes, it's about family, but I think it's also about this kind of family. I think this is the kind of family that, that we choose to have. Um, it's a family that you're not born into, but you, you choose to form. Um, and, and it's a family that, that you make a conscientious effort to, to continue to want to have, right? Like, I think this is the, this is the thing that at least for me, from a, not only from a professional standpoint, but from a personal standpoint, I think keeps me going and it, and it wants me, it keeps me wanting to put cleats on and then go on the field and, and do all these things. Keeps me wanting to do this in general, because it's a good way to connect with, with each other and, and things like that. But, but, um, but I'm extremely thankful to this podcast in general, because it's, it, it's funny as I hear like every once in a while, I'll have either somebody from Odessa who's listening to the podcast or a parent or whoever, somebody text me or whatever. And it's funny because it's like Duane and I don't think ever really think about the people that are listening to the podcast. Um, I think if you ask me how many people listen to the podcast, I can probably count them in one or two hands how many people I think are listening to the podcast. Um, <laughs> and it realistically may potentially be more. But I don't think Duane and I have ever cared about any of that. I mean, Duane, correct me if I'm wrong, but have you ever cared about how many people actually listen to this? No, it's just funny. when I think it's just the, the cool part is when people pick up you think of a couple of different episodes and people pick up on, on just small detail. Like, you know, you think you talk about something impactful and then it's like the small detail that someone heard and it's like, yeah, you really were listening. And it, it, I'm glad that that resonated with you and you could take that with you. Yeah. Um, that's huge. Yeah. So, so for all the fun times that we have on this, uh, I think the highlight of the year was the, the, and I just relived this moment. I re-listened to this. I don't really listen to the podcast. I don't re-listen at all ever. Uh, but I re-listened to, uh, and if you've never listened to that episode, go back to somewhere in September. Dwayne and I talk about, uh, I asked Dwayne a lot of questions and Dwayne talks about how he's never eaten a peeled apple before. Um, and we talk about <laughs> naked apples for for, for a few minutes um, and how uh, that was probably one of my favorite moments of the year. Uh, but but in general, outside of that, uh, outside of all the fun that we normally have, I think these real conversations, and we haven't had a guest because of our schedules, uh, we haven't had a guest. So you two have been our guest for now in the last. We had a guest months. last week. We had a guest last week, yeah. Because that's also we we decided to go on location <laughs> and go somewhere else <laughs> to record the podcast. But um, on this Zoom world that we live in, um, so yeah. So just thankful for for all three of you. Thankful for for the handful of people that I think are are extremely important in my life that or the two handful of people that are, are extremely important in my life that that 
are not only associated with the podcast, but just associated with my life or soccer in general. So, um, so just super thankful for that. So Kyle, uh, Mike, thanks for coming on the podcast this week. Always a pleasure. Always. Really is. We talk way too much through text. <laughs> we do. We do. We do. We do text talks way too much through text. I think which our wives would agree with that as well. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. We got to loop everybody in. <laughs> <laughs> well, thanks for joining us this week. And remember, always receive the ball on your front foot.